Welcome to this American Society of Hematology podcast for the hematologist Ash News and Reports. In this installment of our special podcast series on COVID-19, the hematologist editor-in-chief, Dr. Laura Michaels, has a conversation with contributing editor, Dr. Ifeyinwa Asunkwo. They discuss unique issues facing the sickle cell disease population during the COVID-19 public health crisis. Dr. Laura Michaels is Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Hematology and Oncology at Medical College of Wisconsin. She is Editor-in-Chief of The Hematologist. Dr. Ife Yinwa Sunkwo is Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics and Director of the Sickle Cell Disease Enterprise at the Levine Cancer Institute, Atrium Health. To access constantly updated ASH resources, visit www.hematology.org COVID-19. Thank you for listening and enjoy the conversation. Hello, everyone. This is Laura Michaels. I'm here today with Dr. Ifi Asunquo, who's a specialist in sickle cell disease. And Ifi, I wanted to just pick your brain a little bit about what have you seen in your patients with sickle cell or heard from your colleagues about how this new complication of coronavirus is complicating their lives and health status? Thank you very much, Laura, for having me. It's great to be here, and I really appreciate spreading the awareness about how coronavirus has impacted and is impacting sickle cell patients. What we're finding, and I already have three confirmed coronavirus-positive patients in my program, that there's a couple of things. Number one, they present with signs and symptoms of acute chest syndrome that becomes rapidly progressive. They end up in the ICU or on significant pulmonary support. We're finding that some of them present with pain, either pain that is typical of their usual sickle cell crisis or worse than and more diffuse than their mm. typical sickle cell pain crisis. And so we're also finding that they may have a biphasic presentation. So they may come in with pain, get better, go home, and then come back in with acute chest, or they may come in with acute chest and then get better, go home, and then come back in with pain. And what's interesting is that if we look back in our patients who've gone through other viral infections, including metanumovirus, flu, rhinovirus, and even back during the H1N1 epidemic, this is a very similar pattern. It's a little bit more severe, but it's also what we see with many other viral infections and sickle cell disease. That is fascinating. So the other thing that I was thinking about this morning when I was driving in was the fact that the sickle cell population is uniquely vulnerable to the decrease in the blood supply. So the fact that there's been, you know, such a difficulty these days with conducting normal blood drives, it would in particular affect folks who are on transfusion therapy or otherwise. Absolutely. About 10 to 15% of patients with sickle cell disease will be receiving regularly scheduled either simple transfusions or chronic red blood cell exchange transfusions. That's because of stroke or chronic organ damage or chronic lung problems or for whatever indication. And during a pandemic or when there's a severe viral epidemic, blood drives tend to reduce. There's a drop in blood drives during the winter months, and we usually anticipate an uptick during the spring and the summer. But because of the timing of this pandemic, there's been a lot of the drives that have been canceled. College campuses are no longer in session, which is where we get a lot of our blood drives. Uh So there Uh is a concern of reduced supply. And if there's a reduced supply, when you need it for your patients who are getting it chronically, the supply will not be there. And then also, if they tend to go into acute chest syndrome, you're going to need even more blood. And so there is a strong concern about that. Early in March, we began to talk to the various organizations, including ASH and the AABB and the American Red Cross. And we put out a statement that kind of made some broad recommendations about how to conserve blood during this time, but also a call to action to promote blood donation across all sectors, healthcare workers, family members of patients with sickle cell disease, 
the general population. There's a big social media campaign, and it's ongoing. So there is a concern. I've had to look at my patient list who's getting transition support mm-hmm. and either find ways to move people from red cell exchange that uses about more than six, seven, eight, or even 10 units of blood per session right. to simple transfusions. For at least the next three to six months, we've had to reduce the number of units per exchange transfusion and really try to optimize when do we transfuse and when don't we transfuse. Because we want to make sure that we support them chronically, but also when they do get sick, that there's enough blood supply to support them when they're in the ICU. I think the biggest call to action would be to encourage anybody listening to this podcast to please look for your nearest blood donation center and go donate blood. They are using social distancing practices at all the donation centers. So they have people six to 10 feet apart. They have you wait in your car until it's your time to come in. They mask and glove and wipe down the surfaces between donations. So they are open for business of donating blood, but please, we want to get people out there to go donate. Yeah, I went to donate the other day and (laughs) you do sit in the donation center. They do have everybody spread out. And I also was talking to some MPM patients and we don't have any evidence that coronavirus is transmitted through the blood supply. And there is pretty good screening for anybody, you know, before they give blood that they're not having any symptoms. So I don't think that there's right now a concern for safety of receiving donated blood. No, there is no concern for blood safety with regards to coronavirus. I think the important thing is that people are not afraid to go out to donate because of the social distancing exposure risk, you know, and so we're taking that into account and we're making sure that if you do come out, you can get an appointment online, come at your appointment time. They only allow a certain number of people in the room at a time to make sure that we keep people far apart from each other. I actually had my children. I have three teenagers and they've all gone to donate. My husband and I are going in a week because that's when we can go to donate. And so everybody, we really want to encourage the audience to, you know, help keep the supply going. I live in North Carolina and we've been able to maintain our supply. We had a critical drop middle of March, but we're in a good place right now. But I can imagine that places like New York City, Seattle, Washington, California, you know, who are much more heavily hit with coronavirus, they are going to need a lot more people donating blood now to keep the supply where it needs to be. Right. And we're also in this for a bit of a, a little bit more of a marathon than a sprint Absolutely. here. So, um, so Ibi, I know you've long had an interest in how to sort of institute distance learning for people who treat sickle cell disease. I understand you have a project that you're doing with some collaborators on telementoring folks who take care of sickle cell disease elsewhere in the country outside of areas of maybe special expertise. I wonder if you might talk a little bit about that project and also how telemedicine can be use in this particular setting to keep sickle cell patients engaged in their care and make sure they're getting attention early. Absolutely, you're right. So we have a HRSA-funded project. It's called the Embrace Network Project, and Embrace stands for Education and Mentoring to Bring Access to Care for Sickle Cell Disease, and it's a regional collaborative between eight states in the Southeast, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, and Kentucky, and we've had these virtual telementoring sessions. We do them every two weeks, and we invite any provider who is interested in anything sickle cell disease, doctors, APPs, nurses, social workers, case managers, and we usually have a case presented, a de-identified patient's case that is presented by one of the providers, and we have a content expert in that area or an area that is related to sickle cell disease who presents a short didactic, and we offer CME credit for each one-hour session. We have sessions that are more medical-focused. We have them twice a month. We also have a psychosocial-focused telementoring session that we do once a month on the first Monday of the month, and this is really focused for people who provide case management and psychosocial support to sickle cell disease because there are some nuances about the condition that if you don't pay attention to, you may not be able to manage them optimally with their medical issues. 
And we are about to launch a curative therapy sickle cell echo clinic where it's all about, you know, stem cell transplant, gene therapy, and how do you choose, treat, support, and follow people who have sickle cell disease who are in the process of getting curative therapies for their condition. We've had it now going for two and a half years. It's a really robust discussion and conversation. And I always learn something about sickle cell disease when I go in these sessions. It's not just for the experts. We have experts on the call who are helping to kind of provide peer learning, but I learn more from my primary care provider and my local hematologists who come on because they see things that are, you know, more usual and common that we may take for granted. And we may not really think about how do you manage a sickle cell patient who lives 30 miles away from the nearest emergency room, you know, when they have a severe hemolytic event. You know, we talk about what is common and what is rare and how to bring specialty services to people closer to where they live at their local provider's practice. Now, the other components of this tele-mentoring that we've tried to kind of think about is how do we now take that and provide clinical care to sickle cell patients during a pandemic. As most institutions have done, we've done a lot of pivoting towards virtual care. So we do telephone check-in visits, which are phone-based sickle cell clinic visits with our patients. But we also have video visits called video telemedicine visits, where you can actually see them by video using different platforms. And we were very concerned that patients would not buy into this way of getting their care. But we were pleasantly surprised. When we first got word that we can do this, we made several calls to patients, people who were having pain episodes at home, who were afraid to go to the ER. And we were able to manage their pain over the phone you know, kind of walking them through what to do at home, how to adjust their medication, calling in some additional medications, and they, you know, be able to manage their pain crisis at home without going to the ER. We've had a very strong positive response to the phone check-ins. We are beginning to see a positive response to the video visits because they can now see you face-to-face. I'm like, you know, I can't give you a hug, but I can at least see your face and watch you smile and see your daughter, your son, or your family member and let you know that we're offering you support. That's been a great experience and that we've done much more visits overall using telemedicine than we've done in-person visits the three months prior to March, which is very encouraging. So I think it's really giving people more access to the care that they need than if you had to worry about transportation, you know, timing of the visit, can you get yourself to the appointment on time, et cetera. So this is a much more convenient way of giving care, a much more accessible way of giving care if you live far away from the medical center than just having to come in to see us. I have patients who live in South Carolina and I'm in North Carolina. It's a two and a half hour drive to come and see me. So I do a lot of those patients by virtual care. One of the things we've noticed is that in areas of Milwaukee or in certain age distributions, it's harder to get the virtual visits just because of unfamiliarity with technology or lack of access to technology. That's very true. And I think my older patients do the phone visits a lot better Mm -hmm. than the video visits. I think they're much more comfortable just answering a phone call and they want to chat. So they're on the phone for a little bit of a long time. They want to connect. They want to feel, you know, there's a little bit of socialization going on there. But the video tends to be a lot more challenging if you're in an old or age bracket. The younger patients want to text and they want to chat on video. So it's kind of, you know, we adapt to base to what the patient's demographic is. I do want to mention something that we're doing that's a little bit more unique to our program at Atrium Health in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the fact is that we've done a very proactive outreach to our patient population. So you know the sickle cell patients that tend to be minority, underserved, indigent patients, probably publicly insured or uninsured, and they have the same social demographic issues that most people have in the community, you know, uninsured. They're mostly African-American or Hispanic, and they were going to be the most heavily hit with coronavirus if they do get infection, on top of having sickle cell disease. So we've gone down the looking at who are our highest risk patients, and we proactively call them, Hmm. every single one of them, and we set up their appointment by us reaching out to them and not waiting for them to reach out to us. So that's the first thing. We have everybody's email address, and we send them an email to get connected to a weekly Zoom webinar that we're doing for our patients. We're calling it the sickle cell zooming in webinar, 
And basically, the first week we did, it's all sickle cell and coronavirus, you know, what you need to know. And it was really about, you know, the virus is contagious, how to protect yourself, how to seek care, how to access your provider, signing up for the HM Health portal. And then every week after that, based on the questions that we get, we modify the content to meet the needs of the patient population. We had one just a couple of days ago on Wednesday, and we talked about, so how do I do social distancing? And it's funny because we don't think about how do you take care of yourself when you cannot go outside or go to the mall or go to the hairdresser. And my young people were worried about getting their hair done, you know, and being seen on camera when their hair is not done. And, you know, how stress can trigger a pain episode and how to manage your stress and, you know, how to connect with your provider if you're worried about getting a medication supply. So very mundane things that we think people kind of should know. But it was a one-hour Q&A that was very, very interactive and very, very vibrant. And we had about 50-something patients on the webinar. Awesome. Now, yeah, and I do in-person education events at my clinic, and I may get like three or four people show up. Mm-hmm. So to get 50 something people on a webinar was pretty phenomenal. We're going to keep doing it every week for as long as we can, and based on patient feedback, you know, we do a pre- and post-survey, and we're able to find out those who have issues with insurance, with food, they've lost their jobs, and we can connect them to our social worker, our community-based organization, to kind of help address their social determinants in real time. So it's pretty impactful, but we're taking a multi-pronged approach to address the needs of the patient. Some of it is medical, medication refills, getting their appointment schedules. Some of it is social. Some of it is emotional. So we refer them to behavioral health. They can do some virtual behavioral health check-ins that way. But you want to take care of the population as a holistic person and not just their medical, physical needs, because the one always impacts the other. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's an incredible endeavor. I hope other sites are able to replicate this kind of thing because I do think the proactive reaching out is incredibly important. This is a new virus that we don't have a lot of history on. We don't have a lot of background knowledge of what to expect and what to do in terms of treating the patient population. So the more data we collect in different disease populations, be it sickle cell disease, you know, leukemia, myeloma, it would be very important that we engage in this kind of effort to kind of help the medical community learn more and to be able to pivot our treatments to really address what we're seeing in our patient populations. Absolutely. Ify, thank you so much for your time today. This has been fascinating. Good luck with your projects and we'll hear more from you later, I'm sure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Laura. Anytime. You take care. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the American Society of Hematology. For more information, visit www.hematology.org. Make sure to add this podcast to your favorite RSS feed and follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes. If you have recommendations for topics to cover in this podcast series, please email us at thehematologist at hematology.org. Join us next week for another The Hematologist COVID-19 podcast.